0: education is really where we get our first sense beyond the household of the sort of society that we live in and our place within it and so we have to be making sure that that educational experience is inclusive for people of all abilities people at all different stages of their developmental trajectory when you go to the other end of the scale and you find the uh, rough sleepers and you find uh, the drug addicts and the people who are turning up dead from street value, that was the very end of their road to complete social exclusion, right? Despair, dysfunction and death. 90% of them, I would bet everything I have, their exclusion began in a mainstream classroom.
1: Education matters. A bad start at school might not end up with you on the streets, but it can cast a long shadow over your life just because you were born in the wrong postcode. From the time we enter the school gates, inequality is baked into the foundations of British society. I'm Curtis James, and this is the Class Divide podcast. We're uncovering the deep segregation that exists in the school system where I grew up in Brighton, on the south coast of England. It's a story close to my heart, but one repeated across the UK. Across the series, we've followed the fortunes of Carly Goldsmith and her brothers, and seen how private schools open doors that remain stubbornly closed to kids in state schools in more deprived areas. But that segregation is also built into the fabric of the so-called comprehensive state school system. In this episode, we'll be unearthing why that's the case, what's stopping it from changing, and offering some ideas to make education fair for everyone. Episode six, Admissions and Catchments. To many, Brighton & Hove is seen as an idyllic place to raise a family. It's a destination for people who move here because they want their children to grow up in this progressive city by the sea. If you're a parent, learning about catchments and school admissions and how they affect you is a necessary first step. Dr Ellen Greaves is currently working on a project with Professor Simon Burgess and others focusing on school admissions to secondary schools.
2: Traditionally it has been that geography has played an important role. So most kids have been allocated to a school based on where they live and normally it would have been the local authority that would set the catchment area for each school. Since the system of School Choice and Education Reform Act, that has weakened slightly. Parents can express a preference for where their child would like to go.
1: The system of School Choice and the 1988 Education Reform Act gave parents more power and information to choose where to send their child to school. Armed with published league tables and the freedom to rank their preferred schools, the parentocracy was born. Imagine you're the parent of a child in year six and it's time to start looking for a secondary school. Like most parents, you just want what's best for your kid, so you do your homework. Like more than 90% of us, you have to find the best state secondary school because you can't, or won't, go private. In Brighton, most secondary schools are rated as good by Ofsted, but many parents want more information. Like many in Brighton, your perception of certain areas might have been clouded by myths and horror stories. This might be enough to turn you off certain schools where the kids from those areas might go. Research tells us that education can be affected by disruption in the classroom. So you might want to search out some data that helps you understand where this might be a problem. Things like exclusions and attendance might give you some clues. You might also know that the number of children on free-school meals can be an indicator of the proportion of low-income families. And that free-school meal children do considerably worse academically and are more likely to be excluded or suspended. So you might want to avoid schools where there's a high ratio of free-school meal children, just in case it negatively impacts the quality of teaching for everyone else. After all of this, it's likely your research has led you to areas in Brighton Hove that are pricier to live in, but crucially, offer not only the highest performing schools when it comes to exam grades in the city, but a choice of them as well. Over in the hills and hollows of East Brighton, on the council estates where I grew up, the situation is very different. You'll also want the very best for your children, to give them the best start in life, but you can't afford to move into an expensive house in the catchment area of a school with good exam results, so your options are much more limited. Where I grew up in Whitehawk, there is currently just one secondary left in the catchment area following the closure of our local secondary school, Comart. Parents here, have no choice. Fiona Miller is a writer, journalist and campaigner on school issues. According to her, this is segregation, and it's not unique to the people in East Brighton. To her, it's choice that's part of the problem.
3: There is a lot of segregation around the country. It's not necessarily a problem only of Brighton or only of London, but where you have more choice, it tends to be more segregation. Obviously, if there's one local school and everybody goes to it, you're going to have less segregation. Unfortunately, because of the way that parent choice and school admissions work together in rather a toxic relationship, that tends to mean that some schools colonize the better off children and others get left with the children that those schools don't really want. And there's lots of data to show that's the case.
1: We'll come to the issue of school admissions later in the episode, but for now, let's dig a bit deeper into the idea of parent choice. Here's Brighton parent and campaigner Dave Boyle.
4: I think there are an awful lot of people who, when it comes to choosing the secondary school for their kids, as far as they're concerned, they've not won the golden ticket, they've certainly won a very shiny one. I don't think many people give much of a thought to those who don't have the access for that ticket. In one respect, that's what happens to people who have a a naked interest in the sense of their own children's education. The catchment sort of system and what the choice agenda creates is this notion that one can only and indeed should be interested in one's own children.
1: According to Dave... The school market system has amplified the sense that as parents, we must do whatever we can to get the best advantages for our child. This is something that Orwell Prize-winning writer Darren McGarvey spoke about just after he'd given his BBC Radio 4 Reef lecture in 2023.
0: At the end of the day, nothing will elicit a conservative impulse like having children. So you need to watch that. You need to watch that because sometimes people have kids and then that becomes the airtight justification they need to just completely abandon their inner integrity and just go, go for whatever suits them. And and while it's still true that that I would eat your kid to save my kid, uh, I'm not quite ready to swing away the the other direction just yet.
1: As parents, we are hardwired to protect our children and do anything to open up a world of opportunities for them. Secondary school admissions appeals are common in Brighton and Hove, many by parents who failed to get the place they wanted in one of the best performing schools. Reasons cited are often to do with travel, with thinly veiled negative comments about the kinds of children that might go to those other schools. But what if the choices made by some actively
4: leads to opportunities being shut down for other children? Dave Boyle. You're not going to get people to not be interested in their kids' education, but you can maybe balance that against a wider interest in living in a city where there isn't ghettoisation, living in a city where people actually interact and mix with each other, not as separate species, but as colleagues, friends, and people who go to the same school, not just the kids, but also the parents. This notion that, that it is entirely legitimate to single-mindedly pursue the interests of your own children to the nth degree. I mean it's almost a misnomer to do that through a state education system. If you want that kind of thing, private schools are available. So essentially it's this kind of notion of we can introduce the private school graspiness and kind of sharp elbowedness to a state sector which is fundamentally based on on different values. Fellow class divide campaigner Dr Carly Goldsmith.
5: We don't have a fully comprehensive education system Parental choice has become so much more part of the language of education. But essentially, every time you have choice, are the opportunities for some parents to advantage their children in that system and for other parents who don't understand the system or don't have the power to advantage their children to essentially miss out. You can see that in Brighton and Hove. If you look at some of the levels of attainment in other schools in Brighton and Hove, A, you need to be able to buy a house, (laughs) you know, in Brighton. Who can do that? Anyone. And you also need to be able to pay over the odds for that house because it's by one of the better performing state schools, which means essentially you get very few working class kids in those schools. There's no social mix. And those schools then are just very popular. So they get more funding because they have higher pupil numbers. You have all of the cultural kind of an educational capital of the parents being fed into those schools. It's no trick to be a success when all of the ingredients are there to be successful, right?
1: According to research by the Sutton Trust, living in the catchment area of a top comprehensive school comes with a house price premium of around 20%. A typical house in the catchment area of a top 500 school costs £45,700 more than the average house in the same local authority. I guess you might look at that premium as a small price to pay compared with putting two kids through private school, which would cost at least £150,000 just for secondary school. Dr Ellen Greaves.
2: There is house price evidence that parents really will work the system to get their child into their preferred school without much consideration of the wider impact that has on the, the network of schools or the city as a whole.
1: So we've heard about some parents having more choice, and having access to information to inform that choice. Now we're going to turn to how the admissions process works for schools and local authorities. Open enrolment allows parents to select multiple schools to send their children to, but only specifying one as their first choice. This resulted in some schools being oversubscribed, and these schools are allowed to select pupils according to certain criteria. The government stipulated some criteria. Children with siblings already at the school and those closest to the school also got preference. Later on, the government allowed some to become specialist schools where they were allowed to select 10% of their intake due to aptitude in a particular subject. Also, schools like Cardinal Newman in Brighton, which just so happens to have one of the lowest free school meal percentages in the city, are allowed to select on the basis of faith. In Ellen Gree's research, funded by the Nuffield Foundation, she looked at secondary school admissions criteria across England. They discovered something that might shed some light on one of the reasons schools are segregated. Many are not making use of the powers they have to widen diversity, and note that, while Ellen is talking about academies and free schools, these admission rules apply to local authorities as well.
2: Because so many schools are academies now and free schools, they have the freedom to set their own admissions criteria within the school admissions code. But what we found that even though they're allowed to give priority to pupils with the pupil premium, for example, very few schools are doing that. There's only around 40 secondary schools in England that meaningfully give priority to kids with the pupil premium. Equally, there's only a handful of schools that reserve places for pupils outside of their catchment area in an attempt to widen access. So there are mechanisms that schools can legally, freely use to widen the diversity of their school, but only a handful of schools are choosing to do so.
1: I asked Ellen why she thought schools weren't using these freedoms. She told me this topic wasn't covered in their research, but they had a hunch.
2: Schools care a lot about their position in their market. It may be that because of pressures of league tables or other concerns of the schools that they don't want to lose any advantage by changing their intake if they have a privileged position in a nice middle class area they don't want to risk their position maybe by widening their access to kids from other neighborhoods or they feel pressure from the parents currently at the school that they want to protect this school for themselves not to widen the intake
1: so what does a fair school system look like Keeping everyone happy isn't easy, says Ellen Greaves.
2: Everyone probably has their own notion of what fair access to school might be. If you live near to your preferred school, probably your definition of fairness is that the closest kids get in. It makes practical sense. You know, you have a community around the school, you reduce commuting costs. Everyone's happier going to a closer school. They get to play with their friends and so on. So it seems very logical and and very fair to those households that the closest kids should have priority. If you think about a pupil on the other side of town, fair might look very different to them. And because of an accident of where they were born, who their parents are, they are now have no chance of access to maybe their preferred school. So fair might look very different to them. Fair to them might be... Everyone should have an equal shot of going to their preferred school. I think fair in the context of school admissions is very difficult to define.
1: As we've heard, the way the Brighton and Hove catchment areas are set up means that some of the poorest communities in Brighton don't get a choice of the school they want to go to. But if you can afford a pricier house in central Brighton, you get a choice of two. Doesn't seem very fair, does it? Local activist Dave Boyle describes the central catchment area for two of the city's best schools as the Salamander. It slithers down to the sea to wrap around some of the nicest houses in the city, but stops on the boundaries of Whitehawk. He says the Salamander reflects political power in the city.
4: Catchment areas are one of those areas where the council has pretty much free reign to do what it wants. It can do what it wants as long as the process is followed, which is laid down centrally. But what that process then results in is for the council to determine. And When you look at the Brighton catchment areas, the thing which comes to mind is the salamander. Which is the kind of classic, corrupt way in which things were drawn in in the sort of dirty politics period of the American democratic process, where essentially you drew the boundary in such a way as to include all the people who would vote for you and none of the people who wouldn 't vote for you. This leads us to the phrase of gerrymandering, and you look at the Brighton catchments and the thing which jumps to mind is gerrymandering it doesn 't conform to any natural kind of boundaries it's clearly the result of some political power process where people have said we want to be in this catchment and not that catchment and to that extent it's a sort of testimony of where political power lies in the city and and frankly where it doesn't. Dave went on to say that the closure of the only secondary school in East Brighton, check
1: episode four for that story, led to unfair changes in the catchment strategy, creating
4: some pretty stark segregation. It's the disparity and equality in the education of the city is absolutely writ large. If you live in nice middle-class areas, you get two choices to send your kids to. And if you don't, you don't. It's so stark. It's a stain on the city, and it's a stain on the self-regard of the city as as a normally progressive place. It's like it's progressive as long as we don't talk about things like that.
1: I think it's broadly true. This is local Labour MP Lloyd Russell-Moyle. I just played him that clip from David Boyle. The way that it wraps around to just include
6: Sussex Square, which is of course not so mixed, is much more affluent, but doesn't manage to reach out to other areas, does look suspicious.
1: In fact, it was a Labour-led council that began reforming school admissions and catchments in February 2007. There was a consultation and attempted change in 2018 but the Labour Council U-turned on their ideas because of resistance from parents, which might potentially lose them votes. Becky Allen is a professor of education at the University of Brighton and has researched school admissions and reforms in Brighton & Hove extensively. She's also the co-founder of TeacherTap, the largest teacher survey in the country.
7: I would say at the time that the decisions were made to redraw the catchment areas, the councillors who were involved at the time, all of it which we will remind ourselves, considered themselves to be on the left or the centre-left, went out of their way to deliberately draw lines around areas of social disadvantage and hem those students together into the schools. You only have to take a map of the catchment areas of Brighton, mapped against some sort of index of deprivation to show that they deliberately pursued that policy. Their goal, ultimately, though they wouldn't admit it, was to take the part of East Brighton that had become affluent, the Hanover area, and ensure that those affluent children were able to access the affluent schools.
1: And what these unfair boundaries create is a highly segregated school system that isn't hard to see. If you take a look at the free school meal data, so the amount of children getting free school meals across Brighton and Hove, it paints a damning picture. The nearest school to the community I grew up in is called Long Hill, and it's the only school in the East Brighton catchment. Data from 2022 shows that 31.7% of their learners are on free school meals. The next closest school, Brighton Aldridge Community Academy, or BACA, where many East Brighton children go, has a whopping 44.7% of its young people on free school meals. But take a look at the schools available to those in the Salamander, which includes the expensive houses in East Brighton and the city centre, Vandine High School has only 17.3% on free school meals, Dorothy Stringer 16.9% and Cardinal Newman a faith school just 12.7%. Still think Brighton and Hove is an inclusive and diverse place to be? Jack Davies is the newly appointed head at Backer, a school where many children from East Brighton go. In 2022, it received a needs improvement report from Ofsted. I asked him what it was like to be the head of a school with the highest number of children on free school meals in the city. It's very difficult because at times opportunity isn't quite the same and I am always trying to look to expand the opportunity of my students and we're doing everything that we can and we are getting a lot closer but those students aren't having the same opportunities at the moment. Jack told me about the work he's doing to widen those opportunities. We are trying to provide that through the mentoring scheme. We've got our back of 100 which we're really pushing, which is 100 things that we have to get our students to complete by the time they finish school. But we are having to push that from a starting place that is very different to other schools. And that work has paid off. In March 2023, Backer was ranked good for personal development and leadership and management following an Ofsted inspection. Rather than pupils, parents and teachers deserting a school when it's struggling, looking at it as a broken product, how can a town or city rally around to support it instead? because it takes a city to educate its children. We'll come back to some of this positive work in episode seven. In 2021, Brighton & Hove City Council authored a document called School Admission Arrangements 2023-24. The document's focus was around a need to reduce primary school places, as birth rates have dropped over the last few years. But what it highlighted was, to use Fiona Miller's words, this toxic relationship between parent choice, local authority and schools. It talked about the benefits of council leaders, head teachers and governors working together to improve the chances of success but that there was a lack of willingness by schools to work as a family of schools across the city. The document went on to say that a sister strategy aimed at closing the attainment gap for disadvantaged children would be difficult to deliver without a family of schools working together to reduce places. Ellen Greaves mentioned in our interview that there are very few cases across the country of joined up thinking at a local level when it comes to school admissions.
2: Each school is thinking about their own admissions criteria and not those of their neighbours and how overall schools are balanced in the area.
1: Lloyd Russell Moyle MP told me the local authority in Brighton Hove had asked schools to act as a family of schools when it came to reducing primary school sizes. He told me, The biggest and wealthiest primary schools in our city have gone about
6: to screw over the smallest schools deliberately.
1: He told me that the local authority tried to get the larger, more powerful primary schools to lower class sizes, but the governing bodies of those schools took it to the ombudsman and won. Now the council is being forced to make cuts in other smaller, more precarious schools. Personally,
6: I think we should be more aggressive in naming and shaming those head teachers in those schools that have decided to take the selfish route, and not only the selfish route, to fundamentally destroy a, a family of schools that we might have in our city.
1: Lloyd told me about the idea of opening up a new school back in 2018. Its catchment would have included Whitehawk, giving parents the choice between the new school or Longhill. The new school would have a catchment area of around 20% free school meals. Despite a valiant attempt, there was a coalition of regressive forces that included some head teachers, parents who complained about their kids travelling too far to school, and others who opposed the plan because it meant they'd lose their golden ticket into the so-called best schools in Brighton. Dave Boyle
4: What it brought out was that there was resentment amongst the other schools in the city, the other secondary schools, that the council had decided to create a new school when they were, as far as they were concerned, well, couldn't we all have those extra kids coming to our schools? Because then funding will flow from that. So they see themselves as business units, essentially, and were thinking, we'd like some new, more money, please. And the best way to get more money as a school is to get more pupils. So they started to kick up against it and they saw an opportunity to maybe kill what they saw as a rival school. According to Lloyd Russell Moyle, a
1: cheaper plan was put forward by the Labour Council to keep everything as it was and build some extra classes in the two popular schools.
6: That decision exacerbated the inequality, actually. It didn't even help it. So it all got thrown out. And that, to me, is a deep regret. The problem is it was a window of time. And these windows only come almost kind of every 20 years.
1: So, not only did Whitehawk lose its own school in 2005, an attempt to open a new one within 20 minutes walking distance was, according to multiple people I've spoken to, killed off by other schools and parents across the city. Sometimes I struggle to keep my anger in, and this is one of those moments. I'd like to think that the work we've been doing at Class Divide and with this podcast might inspire some more positive conversations between schools and the local authority when it comes to the future secondary school admission changes. But this is all emblematic of how hard it is to change things, compounded by underfunded schools and councils, and local politicians hoping the topic of catchment areas and admissions never comes up. We did invite Richard Barker, head of school organisation at Brighton & Hove City Council, to take part in this programme, but he told us, I was advised that at this time I shouldn't participate in the podcast. Reforming the school catchment and admission system matters. Writer, performer, and activist Byron Vincent grew up on a council estate in the northwest of England. Like me, he was schooled on the wrong side of the educational divide, and he knows firsthand where this segregation can lead.
8: That gap that's created in forever widening. Creates a combustible society, a dangerous society. It encourages all the things that you fear. It encourages crime. It encourages antisocial behavior. Uh, it encourages resentment. If you want to live in a nice country, you need a fair and functioning way of educating our children that allows for equality and isn't horrendously
1: elitist. Changing our catchments and reforming the school system in the city doesn't mean anyone needs to lose out. Quite the opposite. Studies have shown that a mixed intake of kids is good for everyone, says Dr Ellen Greaves.
2: There's quite a lot of evidence that the peer group really matters in a school. If you go to a school with higher achieving peers, you're more likely to achieve highly yourself. There's evidence that teachers respond to the pupil composition. So you may end up seeing a higher teacher turnover in schools with more disadvantaged pupils, for example, which negatively affects their education. There is other evidence that teachers' beliefs, expectations about pupils can be affected. So there are lots of reasons why one might want to see more integration, less segregation of pupils Four positive peer effects, four positive teacher effects, four positive expectations, aspirations, which the funding alone may not
8: counter. Byron Vincent. It's essential, isn't it, for a happy and integrated society. What do you want your kids to grow up like? Do you want your kids to grow up not understanding swathes of the country that they live in? There's this perception from middle-class people, that their culture is in some way superior, which is not necessarily the case. (laughs) So it's not just that us poor urchins will benefit from the privilege of hanging around with people of privilege. It sort of works both ways as well. There can be an exchange of ideas and ways of being between Kids from different backgrounds—that is edifying for all parties, and not only that, it's a benefit to society in the long run. Because you want your children to grow up with an understanding of how the world functions and and what difficulties people face, and that will inform their worldview and their politics and their ability to empathize, which is colossally important. It's a win-win situation. You just believe it isn't because you've been conditioned to
1: fear people from lower-income environments. Here's Whitehawk parent, Shell. Her daughter goes to Backer in the east of the city.
5: The
3: more diverse the school community, the more that there'll be peaks and dips
2: of what those league tables look like, but at least they're getting a good mix of different people to hang around, different cultures. I mean, it is so diverse there. I feel incredibly lucky now that she is there because actually if you're going to a school where it's very much the same kind of group of people, you're only going to know that group of people and actually this is where a lot of learning takes place, is that social mix. I think that's really important.
1: So how might we go about creating a more diverse mix across schools in a place like Brighton? Well, one idea, banding, has already been in place in different forms for years in London. Ellen Greaves.
2: There are cases where local authorities have implemented policies. So another case is Hackney in London, which now have a system of banding, or fair banding, where each school has a set number of places for pupils of a given ability band. The aim is to try and get a roughly equal spread of kids across the ability distribution in each school to make it a comprehensive system.
1: But Professor Becky Allen explained to me some of the issues with banding that came up across London.
7: The first issue is it's not great at fulfilling parents' preferences. Because whilst the parents can express a preference, we're placing constraints on who can get which places. And so it's almost always the case that you end up in situations where there might be a set of parents at one school who are unhappy and a set of parents at another school who are unhappy who could be made both happier by switching their children's places. And yet we will ban that under the system. The second problem is you're likely to end up with relatively long distances being travelled by children to school, particularly in a city that has high concentrations of poverty in specific geographic locations, where we want to ship those students out and distribute them elsewhere. So good public transport is a prerequisite for banding. And then the last issue I would say that parents would really feel, and perhaps children would really feel, is the uncertainty of not knowing where you're going to go to secondary school and the reality that you are likely to be split up from your friends.
1: And similar to banding, the lottery system also has issues.
7: If you did it across Brighton and Hove as a whole and you just said, anyone has a right to go anywhere and we're just going to lottery the whole place. Whilst intakes may end up being more balanced than they are at the moment, I suspect that's undoubtedly true, They wouldn't be fully balanced intakes, um, because you're always going to have proximity playing a bit of a factor in pulling these demographic differences.
1: Journalist and school campaigner Fiona Miller thinks Ofsted could be used to encourage schools to be more diverse.
3: One of the things that would make a big difference is if if Ofsted judgments were linked. Because, I mean, unfortunately, you also see that schools that have more advantaged intakes tend to do better in OFSTED, so they get, get more good and outstanding inspections. If, if a school couldn't become good or outstanding unless it had the number of the percentage of people eligible for free school meals as in its local community, that would make a lot of schools think again about their intakes. You, you've got to provide other incentives for schools to do this properly and become more inclusive. At the moment, all the incentives are in the other direction, and they get basically privileged for being more exclusive and, and penalised for being inclusive.
1: For Becky Allen, there is a quick way to fix the issues in Brighton and Hove.
7: We could fix it in part overnight by just redrawing the catchments. There's no reason why children who live in those affluent parts of East Brighton can't go to school to the no- the north because there's great public transport up there, and it would be perfectly straightforward to do that, and it would overnight improve social integration. Now, people who were against using proximity as a rule or using catchment areas as a rule would say, well, hang on a minute, but then there'll just be middle-class flight out of these areas. Well, perhaps... But it's difficult and slow to move house. And we have to be careful about overstating the extent to which that is likely to come into play. And we might be able to do quite a good job of creating a more sustainable schooling system to the point where actually it becomes acceptable for middle class children to be educated in any local school. And we often see it. I live in a part of mid Sussex where we've seen a change where a school that once upon a time was seen as an unacceptable place for middle class children to go has managed to change itself by virtue of changes in admissions. And if you pull that off, then parents will start feeling more relaxed about where they live. But I would be motivated to make changes really, really quickly. And the quickest way to make changes is to redraw boundaries and priority areas.
1: We live in an apparently progressive city, but sometimes we don't act like one. For the good of all of the kids in this city, I'd like to see the local authority calling on the most enlightened thinking from around the world, when it comes to education in the city. Many of our schools haven't succumbed to the central government academisation drive, so the local authority have it in their power to make changes. But only if schools and parents see this as a citywide challenge, a collective responsibility. I said right at the start of the series, some of what you might hear might make you feel uncomfortable or be difficult to hear. But we need to have these conversations about privilege, advantages, and the access to the best education this can give you. Just listen to our previous episodes to hear just how damaging a lack of good education can be. We've recently had local elections in Brighton Hove and we have a majority council for the first time since 1999. Not having a majority has often been cited as a reason for new ideas being held back. Could this new Labour council keep to the pledges made by local Whitehawk councillor David McGregor at a class divide hostings event where parents asked about free school transport and changes to catchment areas. Here's Whitehawk parent Dave, followed by Councillor David McGregor's short but succinct response.
4: As a local father and an ex-local governor, we've already heard that people are generally worried about the cost of transport. And with approximately two million going to the local bus company in the last 17 years, we would like you today to give a solid commitment that in the next contract with the bus company, you will have a commitment to the White Whitehall people that no child going to high school will have to pay for the bus. And I would like that in a one-word answer, if possible. David? Yes. And local
1: parent Jade, asking about catchment area changes, again followed by David McGregor's reply.
3: In most areas of Brighton Hove, families have two schools in their catchment area to choose from. We have one. Do you think this is unfair and what would you do to change it?
1: So I agree
8: that the cashmere is do need to change. I completely agree. It's completely unfair. But it's a long-term
1: thing. But I think it's a long-term thing that we can definitely work towards. Saying something at a local hustings and actually delivering are two very different things. But after years of feeling ignored by those in power and successive local parties of all colours ignoring the education issues in East Brighton, we have to hope the new Labour Council will start to take the class divide seriously. We'll keep you updated on how that goes. I asked Dave Boyle what he would say to all the newly elected councillors and local authority officers responsible for education.
4: They need to sort of lift parents up from being simply focused on, you know, are my children in school? If the answer is yes, then don't you dare touch a damn thing. And if the answer is no, then I couldn't give a tinker's cuss. They need to sort of create that sense that this matters to all of us, whether we have children in the system or not, whether we've had children in the system or not, whether we will have children in the system or not, that we are parents, yes, but we're also citizens and we have a collective responsibility. I've been massively in favour of something like a citizens' assembly, which encourages people to see issues in the round rather than through the narrow self-interested lens which policy often wants to place them and give them the opportunity to see it only through that lens. If we could actually get parents and citizens across the city to actually see the bigger picture, could that be a forum to actually start to make recommendations?
1: I asked Byron Vincent what he would say to the parents that grab every advantage for their children at the expense of others. Don't do it. (laughs) Um, I would say their children are starting
8: the race way, 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 way ahead of people who grow up in an environment like some of the ones I've lived in. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because people are always going to fight for their own kids and want the best for their own kids. I can't tell people not to do that. But what I can say is that they should be aware of those advantages. And if they think that it's unfair, which they should, because it massively is, that should translate into their politics. Dave again.
4: If you're a member of one of the political parties, ask for the change. If you're not, these people represent you. They will have surgeries. Ask for the change. How can you go about hoping to change the world if you can't even change the city you live in in the first instance?
1: In the last episode, we heard about lowering the ladder to help people not born into privilege to achieve their potential. Changes to admissions and catchments feels like mass lowering the ladder. And many people in Brighton are in positions of advantage and power to lower the ladder. We all have the power to help lift all of the city's children equally. And I'd love to find a way to get young people from more affluent backgrounds involved in this work. I bet they'd be really supportive of this important diversity work if they knew more about it.
3: The education system is the, the biggest single driver of creating the sort of society that we want to see. Do we want to see a fairer and more equal society where everybody has opportunities? Well, in that case, we need a fully comprehensive system, which we haven't got. Um, and for every young person to be able to fulfil themselves in the way that they feel is best and right for them.
1: In next week's Reaction episode, I'll be chatting to Carly Goldsmith about catchments and admissions. We'll share more on what we, Class Divide, want for our community. And in our final episode, out on the 31st of May... I'll be sharing stories of hope, of people helping to fill in some of the gaps in education. I'll also be heading further afield to Doncaster to find out about XP schools, and Finland to hear about their world-renowned school system, where school choice was banished years ago. Whilst Divide was written and produced by me, Curtis James, the executive producer is Eve Streeter. Location recording, sound design, post production, and mixing is by Simon James, with editorial support by Carly Goldsmith. Music in the series was kindly donated by Olivia Olleri, Marja Newt, Room, Neil Hale, Salvatore Makatante, Polly Paws, Minor Pieces, Clarice Jensen, Sheeda Shahibi, Max de Wardener, Simon James, Rupka Hoda Makers, Toy Drum, Trams, Benjamin Harrison and The Official Body. The series was funded by necessity and if you'd like to support the Class Divide campaign, follow at Divide Class on Twitter and Instagram or visit the website classdivide.co.uk. I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's taken part. This series couldn't have happened without many people putting their trust in me to tell these important stories. There are also people who shared their stories with me and whose voices haven't ended up in the series. Many of the things those people share with me are definitely here as ideas and inspiration. I also need to thank The Crew Club, Daniel Nathan, Alex at Fat Cat Records, Colin at Castles in Space and Jimmy Berlianto for their help and support. Please help spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a rating and review. Until next time, I'll see you next week.